I just want to say hi. Hi. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know me, um, thank you, Rona, for that very wonderful introduction. Um, I'm Pastor Aaron. Uh, I'm the co-lead pastor of a church called New Philadelphia Church, which actually oversees this college ministry. And uh, I'm just so blessed to be here at SNU. And, um, you know, during worship, I couldn't help but to remember uh, when SNU was just a thought. Um, we first started off our college ministry at Yonsei University, and uh, it was a ministry that was kind of handed down to us uh, by a young woman named Izzy. And that was like, I want to say maybe seven or seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. And at that time, you know, we had no thought of expansion or going to other universities. But I remember about a couple of years in uh, when I took over, my husband used to oversee this um, ministry. And then when I took over, we changed the name to Emmaus. And that's when God began to speak to us. Um, actually, I think he spoke to my husband too, that we were going to be at multiple universities. And uh, at the time I was like, chill, you know, I think Yon says enough. I'm trying to, you know, handle this one university and, and wrap my head around it. But, you know, the more we did ministry, the more I could feel the fire for students, not just at Yon but at, you know, all the different universities, especially those that had an English-speaking presence. Uh, and so SNU was our first additional campus that we reached out to and kind of planted a, a college ministry at. And, uh, and it's just cool to see your prayers come into fruition, you know, to think about it, to receive vision for it, calling for it. And then all of a sudden to see all of you guys, you know, here is just really incredible. And so I just want to say that I'm really honored. I'm so blessed to be here. Uh, it's really a great joy to be with you guys. And, um, yeah, I hope that you guys are ready for uh, a word from the Lord. You guys ready? Okay. Um, so my style of preaching is, one, I'm a little bit raw. So get ready for that. Okay. And what I mean by raw is I tend to, especially once I come to the college ministries, be very honest. Not that I lie during, you know, Sunday services, but I get a little bit more, um, uh, I guess more transparent, uh, just because I think it's, it's really helpful to hear someone just be honest about their struggles and their weaknesses. Um, two, uh, I also like uh, a little bit of conversation. So I'm not the type to want to feel like I'm giving a lecture. Uh, here, um, if you guys, uh, you know, like what you hear, if you feel a witness, then I want to encourage you guys to say amen. I want to encourage you guys to say I receive it. Uh, it's not to make me feel better because, you know, you guys can be silent and I'll still feel good, okay? The reason is, is because when you say amen, you're actually coming to verbal agreement with what just was said, and it's more about kind of receiving it. So when you hear something like God is turning you into a new creation and you say amen, what you're doing is you're grabbing what was just said and you're saying that's for me. And so I just want to encourage you guys to be vocal and active. I really, um, yeah, I think that it just makes it that much more of uh, something that gets written on your heart, not just something that you hear. Okay, and so uh, those are two things that I wanted to say. Uh, and yeah, let's just get started. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. For those of you guys that don't know, I am pregnant. People, I know, I don't, I guess like the way that I, if I go like this, it's like, really? But then if I go like this, it's like, ba-bam! So on the bus, I was like, but nobody got up for me. Come on, SNU, what's up with that? People just looking at their phone like they didn't see my belly. I was like, please, I know you see this. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 22 weeks, uh, and it's really exciting. I'm having a daughter. Yay, I'm having a baby girl, and right now she is kicking like mad. She's, like, doing somersaults and kicking, and so I'm going to try to stay focused. But, you know, it's okay. You, you can be – you can have fun. You can have fun. You can play. <laughs> I feel like my organs are getting, like, shifted around. But, all right, Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start from verses 16, and we're going to read all the way to verse 21. Uh, and I want to encourage you guys to actually read with me. Um, I have the ESV, but whatever version you have, it's all good. Just read it out loud uh, together. Okay, so we're going to start from 16 all the way to 21. Here we go. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to their flesh. What does that mean? From now on, if you read the previous portion of chapter 5, this is a, a letter from Apostle Paul that was written to the Corinth church. What he's talking about is this eternal life that we've been called to. And he refers our life in this earth as a temporary, like a tent, okay, a tent. And he was saying we've been created for eternity. And he gives us this whole explanation uh, just by the grace of God, you and I have been given this gift if we know Christ as our savior. And he goes on and he says, now, because we know this, we know what Christ has done. We therefore no longer regard one another in accordance to the flesh. What does that mean in accordance to the flesh? To sum it up, pretty much it's like this. We don't see each other just in the natural anymore. Rona is not just Rona with her mistakes, with her weaknesses, with her flaws. Rona is Rona in Christ. She's in Christ. Therefore, in the spirit, I see someone that is powerful. I see someone that lacks nothing. I see someone that is strong, not because of her attributes, not just because of, you know, her personality. I'm talking about because Jesus Christ is in her. What happens is we get so stuck on what we see, don't we? And this is twofold, not only regarding one another in the flesh or in the natural, we regard ourselves in the natural. And we look at our mistakes and we look at our weaknesses. Let's be real here. We struggle sometimes, don't we? We know who God is. We know who Jesus is. For many of you, you are believers. Some of you are curious. But for those of you that know Christ, even knowing him, still there tends to be that tension. And we see ourselves doing things like, what am I doing? I know better than this. Why, why am I acting this way? Why am I getting so mad at that? That's so small. And we see ourselves acting less than what we've been called to. And there's a temptation to think, oh, this is all I am right now. I guess I'm just still a, a baby Christian. I guess I still have so much to grow. I guess I'm still yay high. And we judge ourselves. But God is saying, be careful. Through the voice of Apostle Paul, no, because I live in you, you can't see you anymore. You need to see me in you. We need to regard ourselves no longer in just what we see with our eyes, but we need to regard one another in accordance to what Christ has already done. What Christ has done. See, flesh pretty much, if you look up that word in Greek, which is, you know, this original scripture, the New Testament that is, is majority written in Greek. If you look at that word flesh in Greek, um, the definition goes like this, mere human nature, the earthly nature of man, apart from divine influence, therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. I'll make it very simple for you. What it's saying is to regard someone in the flesh is to regard them apart from God. To see someone apart from God. That's regarding someone in the flesh. That's, that's looking at you according to the flesh. It's seeing yourself but without God in the picture. And let me tell you, when we come into agreement with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, guess what? It's not separation anymore. We were separated, but now we're reconciled. And no longer is God apart from us. He's continuously, eternally, forever with us. So to see each other apart from God makes no sense because that's not true anymore. That's the old person. That's the old self. We can't regard ourselves. We can't look at ourselves in just the natural. We can't judge ourselves by our effort, our works, our mistakes, our strengths, our weaknesses. We can't just look at Aaron. We can't just look at Hyojin, at Bo, at Eugene. We need to see ourselves in the light of Christ. This is huge. 
This is huge because number one, sometimes we're our worst critics. And if there's someone that wants you to be reminded of your weaknesses, of your flaws, of your downfalls, it's not God. It's the enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of our spiritual family. And he's constantly all throughout the day trying to accuse you. Who do you think you are? What? You just tried praying this morning. You couldn't even go for two minutes without thinking about, oh, I got to check Facebook. You know, please. You call yourself a warrior? We hear this. And, you know, it's not your own voice. So many times it's the enemy just speaking to you. And all he's trying to do is see yourself in the flesh. See yourself in the flesh. See yourself in the flesh. You're not with God. You're apart from God. He's trying to cut the lie of what salvation actually carries. Now, we got to be careful with the way we think. Even if you hear that, doesn't matter if you hear it, it's what you come into agreement with. When you hear that, you either say, oh, snap, that's true, or heck no. I know who I am in Christ, and I'm not apart from God. I'm with him. We come into agreement too many times with lies. Too many times with what the enemy says and not with what God is saying. And that needs to change. From now on, because of what Christ has done, now we know, we, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, scripture says. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Even we limited Christ in such a way until the revelation of the Son of God came and we realized, okay, even Christ himself is not just a human being. He's God himself. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I want you guys to say that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is sick, guys. This is crazy. I think we don't realize how crazy this is. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. I'm going to read you a quote from one of my favorite theologians and authors, Charles Spurgeon. I love him. Um, And he wrote this about the power of new creation. It just really blew my mind because we tend to get so uh, apathetic about the gospel message because we hear it all the time. And we're like, yeah, I'm a new creation. But we have no idea what we're saying. This, this is what he says, and he kind of speaks like old school, you know, old English style. So, my brethren, it was more difficult, if such terms are ever applicable to omnipotence, which is omnipotence, which is all-powerful. It was more difficult to create a Christian than to create a world. What was there to begin with when God made the world? There was nothing, but nothing could not stand in God's way. It was at least passive. But my brethren, in our hearts, while there was nothing that could help God, there was so much that could and did oppose him. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love for iniquity, all these, great God, opposed thee and aimed at thwarting thy designs. Yes, great God, it was great to make a world but greater to create a new creature in Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? You read the Genesis creation account of how God created the world, and it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. But like Spurgeon says, it was from nothing. And then you think about Jesus turning us into a new creation, and it wasn't from nothing. It was from a sinner. It was from someone who didn't know him, someone who didn't love him, someone who didn't care about him, someone who gave him nothing. In fact, someone who naturally opposed him. And yet he was able to make a new creation out of us. That's insane. That's insane. That's so incredible. This is the reality of being a new creation. At first, it seems like you know, nothing changed. When you guys got saved, you didn't wake up the next day and look physically like a different person, you know? You didn't all of a sudden get, like, pink platinum, you know, hair and is like, obviously, I'm a Christian now. You don't get, like, a, I don't know, like a like a tattoo, you know, Christian, or you don't get, you know, you don't grow six inches tall. That would have been awesome, but actually not for me because I would have been taller than my husband, but um, don't, don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that, okay? It's okay. It's all right. Baby girl, you're going to be tall, all right? Um... Now I'm playing, I'm playing. 
But there's no, nothing on the outside to say that something has changed. Yet on the inside, everything about you has utterly and completely transformed. But the process of being a Christian is seeing that process from the inside coming to the outside. That's why you see Christians still acting a fool. And you still, you see Christians still making mistakes. And when you look at your own life and you're like, man, how come I still don't have it together? I know I believe in Christ, but I'm still messing up here and there. It's because God is in the process of making you like him. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. You are both already like him right now and you're being made like him. It's twofold. It's weird. It's like a paradox, but both statements are true. You are like Christ and you're being made like Christ. We're a new creation. There's no proof on the outside. There's nothing that we can see, but it's by faith and faith alone. You got to understand that everything about your life has just completely changed. And I'm not talking about like, you know, your personality. Now you got to change. You know, some people think like when you become a Christian, they're afraid to get saved because then I got to be like so-and-so. You know, like, I don't want to, you know, I know one Christian, I do not want to be like that person, you know, or, or you, you think you got to give up some of the qualities that are you. No, no, it's not about giving up you. It's about being who you were created to be. It's about going back to the original design of what God has set apart for you. And it's this process of being made sanctified. But the truth is, regardless of where you are in the process, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. Scriptures continues to say the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when we're talking about the old, we're talking about old habits, old identities based on what you did. Anything that brought division between you and God has passed away. And behold, that word behold, you can translate it as see. Behold, see, look, look, the new has come. The new has come. Our problem is we're looking at the old. And we're not looking at the new. We have to behold that the old has passed away and the new has come. This is all by the grace of God. This is not our effort. This is not our works. This is not what we've, you know, oh, I prayed this many times and therefore I'm now eligible to be a Christian. No, it has nothing to do with anything that you've done. Just like Spurgeon said, there's nothing in our heart that helped God in this process. If anything, there was a whole lot of junk that kind of opposed him, yet he was able to make us a new creation. It's this ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. And pretty much there's two definitions of reconciliation. One, you can think of it numerically uh, in like a bank statement. It's, it's, it's the exchange of debt or money for debt. If Bo owes me $50, when she pays me that money, we're reconciled. Okay? But the second thing is what that mirror image is, which is the restoration of favor of God in our lives. Through the paying of our debt, which is done by Jesus Christ, right? So there was a debt that we owed, one that we could not pay. Christ paid it, and therefore we've been reconciled with God. Pretty much we were apart, now we reconciled. And because God has done that for us, we carry that same ministry towards one another. We're able to reconcile with those around us. Scripture says that now we're ambassadors for Christ, okay? So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 30 years old, and I've been in Korea for, I think, seven, uh, maybe eight years, almost eight years. And uh, when I first came to Korea, I, I attended the church that I'm now a pastor of, but I was simply a newcomer. And I came right out, right out of college. I pretty much studied education. My plan was, let me teach English in Korea because that's what everyone was doing. Let me make a little bit of money. Let me save up for grad school, go back, apply, and, you know, live the American dream. I'm from New York, so my whole life I don't want to go anywhere except stay in New York. Because what's better than New York, you know? That was my mind. Like, New Yorkers are so conceited, man, seriously. It took me leaving, too, for me to realize that. And I was like, man, New Yorkers, we got issues. But I I always thought that my life would be in this New York bubble. And God called me out. And it was, it was really divine because at that time I just graduated college and I was just giving my life back to the Lord. Now I'd originally gotten saved when I was around 12 years old, but from 12 to 
I don't know, how old are you when you graduate university? 21, 22, maybe 21. It was like a hot mess, you know, like the journey was like a lot of spiritual highs and a lot of lows. And there, there hit a point when I was in university where I just, you know, I, I just, no one would have known that I was a Christian. I was living my life completely like someone who did not know Christ. I was involved in drugs. I was involved in stealing. My husband likes to say these things at Sunday service and everyone's like, oh my gosh, is she okay with that? You know? Like, yeah, my, my wife was a klepto. And then everyone, like, turns to me and tries to, like, nunchiba, you know? And I'm just like, it is true. <laughs> I was. <laughs> That's not who I am now. I pay. I pay for the things that I purchase, you know what I'm saying? But, but that's who I was. And so I have no shame about what I did. I'm not proud of what I did, but I have no shame because I, I've, I've disattached my identity from that old person, Right? But I I had lived this crazy lifestyle, but one of the main things that really brought me a huge source of shame, and I think sexual immorality just has a tendency to do this. It really hits you at a very deep, deep place because all other sins are outside of your body. But scripture says that sexual immorality, you sin against your own body. And there's this deeper degree, this deeper level of consequence when you dabble in sexual immorality. And I was a promiscuous girl. You know, I didn't believe in like boyfriends, like all of my first, everything wasn't with a boyfriend. It was just like with a random hookup, you know, like I just thought that boys were, you know, I don't know. I got, I, long story short, I got my heart broken in ninth grade, tender age of, I don't know what the heck you are in ninth grade. But after that, I just, I put up all these walls and I, I wanted intimacy without the emotional attachment. And so I, you know, was hooking up all the time. I was promiscuous and, you know, I had lost my virginity when I was in high school and it just, it continued on. Once I lost it, it was like, well, I mean, I can't get that back. So, you know, I mean, like, what am I going to do? Like I tried so hard not to cross that line. Like I did everything, but, but then once like that got taken from me, I I was just like, well, I guess there's no returning, you know? And so I kind of just went buck wild. And so that was my, that was my past. Now, can you imagine, um, that kind of, you know, at the time, have you guys ever watched sex in the city? Uh, don't, if you haven't, it's not the most edifying show, but there is a character on that show that was the most promiscuous. And in my group of friends, they always called me her name, you know, they're like, girl, you the Samantha. And I'd be like, yeah, like I used to just take pride in my sexual freedom, but deep down inside, because I knew Jesus and I was a believer and I knew what I was doing was wrong. Deep down inside, I had major guilt, major shame, major condemnation, major accusation coming against me. Okay, so on the outside, I was like, woman power, you know, sexual freedom. And on the inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm disgusting. I'm perverted. I'm, I'm, I'm filth. Who's ever going to want to be with me? I had these deep, deep issues that I just buried. I just hid. I didn't want to deal with. I didn't want to look at. I didn't want to think about. And so when I came to Korea and I was coming out of that lifestyle, I met my husband. At the time, he was just a prayer team leader. And, I mean, I was not interested in him, and he was not interested in me. Uh, we, were just, we were just friends. Uh, but I shared a little bit about my story with him. Um, and I remember telling him my story, and he stopped me. He's like, girl, you need some H&D. And I was like, what's H&D? He's like, you need healing and deliverance. I was like, what the heck is that? And he's like, uh, we need to cast out some, you know, like spirit of lust and fornication and like, we got to get you cleaned up. I was so offended. I remember I was like, what? Are you serious right now? I just shared all this and you're going to tell me you got to cast out some. I was so, I was so offended, but I just, I couldn't stop thinking about what he said. And I was like, what's healing and deliverance? And it just sparked this curiosity. And I spoke with another sister at church who had gone through something like that. And in a nutshell, what healing and deliverance was that, what that ministry was in our church and still is, is a public confession of your sins in a small, intimate, trusted group and a cutting off of all of the authority that we've given Satan by falling into these temptations. See, when it came to my sexual life, I had just given it to the devil straight up. I had just, here you go, have a field day. And trust me, he did. 
It started off with my decisions and soon it became addiction. Soon it, it became things that were out of my control. You know, it wasn't just hooking up with guys, pornography, masturbation, all sorts of lust. I had so much addiction inside of me and so much shame because of it. And so, uh, I heard from another sister, she was struggling with similar things. And I was shocked that Korean people can share this stuff, you know, cause I was like, I thought we're not supposed to talk about this. And she was just openly sharing as if, as if she never did it. And she goes, yeah, this is what I did, but that's not me anymore. And I was addicted to this, but I'm free now. And I looked at her freedom and I just, something inside of me was like, can I have that? And if I can, how do I get it? And so immediately I looked into healing and deliverance and my husband was leading that ministry. And I walked up to him and I was like, you know what? Maybe you're right. Uh, maybe I need that thing that you said I needed and, uh, how do I sign up for it? And so he led this session. It went for three hours. It took three hours for me. That didn't even cover everything. It was just like major things. All right, guys, three hours of me just going over all of these addictions and sin patterns and, and things that I had, I had given the enemy authority over and it was a process of cutting all of those chains, all of that addiction off of me and, and turning me back to Christ and my identity in him. It was crazy. And remember, my husband was not interested in me at the time. And he prayed at the end, Lord, I pray for Aaron's future husband. <laughs> he prayed for himself and didn't even know it. Like that's the power of God right there. He said, I pray for Aaron's future husband that she may, that he may see you, her the way that you see her. That's what he prayed. So later on, fast forward, uh, you know, he ended up asking me out and, um, you know, <laughs> no, the truth is I really liked him first. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he did ask me out and I was so shocked. I was so, I just never thought that he would go for someone like me. Um, because, uh, my husband was a virgin when we got married and it's just, it's a beautiful story of how he really wanted to maintain that purity for his wife. And, uh, when we were just friends, I remember us talking about it and he, him telling me, yeah, I'm a virgin. And I was like, what? Because my circle, my sphere of influence, like nobody was a virgin anymore. So I was so shocked that they still existed. Like for real, like that was my lifestyle. So I was like, what? Like, how old are you? Like you are a virgin. And he goes, yeah, I'm a virgin. I, I fought all sorts of temptation to stay pure for my future wife. And I just know that God will bless me with the woman who's done the same. So this is when I was like, kind of liking him. And as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's not going to work out. You know, I was like, All right, you go find your virgin wife and, I, and I'm going to find someone that messed up as much as I did. You know, like I, I just like kind of shut the door. Uh, but so when he asked me, I was in complete shock because I just didn't expect that he would, he knew my story. He led my H and D. He knew, you know, who I, how many guys I had been with. He knew that I had struggled so much in this area and yet he still asked me out and he shares a little bit about his side of the story in his dating series. Um, if you haven't heard it, you guys should really check out that whole series. Like it's really good. It's really good. Um, but he, you know, that's his story. I'm going to share my side of the story, right? And so, uh, when we started dating, um, you know, it was very dramatic. It was very romantic. It was awesome. We were like, you know, crazy about each other. And I remember there hit a point where, um, I had a dream and in this dream, I, uh, was going to a funeral, you know, like dreams, you just know certain things. And my, I just knew that I was going to a funeral and then I had to buy a black dress for the funeral. That was my dream. And I'm in the store and as I'm, as I'm in the store, I look at the clothes rack and I pick, you know, I'm trying to find an outfit and everything I pick up is see-through. It's like a black, black see-through, you know, dress. And I'm like, what, you know, put it back and I take it out and I'm like, what the heck? Why is everything? And just the thought of me wearing something see-through was like, oh, no way, you know, that's crazy. And I was like, man, I got to find something that will cover me up. And the scene changes and all of a sudden I'm like, full on making out with this guy. And I don't know who this guy is, but I'm full on making out with this guy on this bed. And I look up and sitting in a chair is at the time, my boyfriend, pastor Christian's just watching me. And I'm like, what the heck? 
And I knew that I wouldn't be able to stop, but all I could think of is, please don't look. I just, just this incredible wave of shame and all I could, please don't look, please don't look. Can you close your eyes, turn away? Please don't look. I felt so exposed. I felt so ashamed and naked and disgusting. Every part of my being was just crying out, please turn away. Don't watch this. And it's just him just watching. And the scene changes and I'm back to trying to find an outfit. And I go, I, I know in my mind, in my dream, I have to go downstairs. And so I begin to walk down these steps. But as I walk down these steps, as each step, it just gets bigger and bigger. And soon it's like a regular step to like this huge step. It just gradually increases. And I don't know if you guys remember being a little kid and like being afraid of going down the steps, you know, cause like they're so big and, and what you do is you get on your tush and you just kind of like scoot. You remember doing that? Like as a kid, you're like, you know, and you're, you're just like kind of scared because you're afraid of falling down. Well, it got so big that literally I was just, you know, sitting on my tush and I was trying to slide down. And I, I got about, you know, towards the end and I'm, I'm looking around and I see all my random high school people, not people that I was friends with, just random high school people. And then finally I'm at the last step and it's the, the height of the step is taller than my height. And I'm looking down like this and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get down there. There's no way. I was just so afraid. But I knew I had to go downstairs. Everything was like, you can't go back up. You got to go down. You have to go down. And so finally, I just take the ledge of the big step and I'm hanging on. And I see the floor and, and I know I have to let go, but I'm so afraid to let go. I'm so afraid. And I just, I just heard the voice of God say, let go. And I let go my hand. My feet land on the floor. And I look and I see elevator doors with the, you know, the arrows that point which direction the elevator is going. The up signal lights up and the doors open. And that was my dream. Epic dream, right? You guys are like, what the heck does that mean? Uh, I'm a big believer that God speaks through dreams. Not only did he do it in, in scriptural times, but I believe that he does it today. Uh, and if you pay attention to your dreams, not all of them are from the Lord. Trust me, not all of them are for God. And I'm sure you guys know that as well. Uh, but there are a few that, that if you pay attention, God really speaks to us um, in our dreams. And I knew that God was trying to say something to me. I just didn't know what. And so we, Christian and I were on this date. We went to Namsan Tower. And we were, you know, holding hands and walking up the mountain. Not like this. I don't know who walks up like this. But I was walking up the mountain. And, and I remember I thought to myself, oh, the dream. And I told him about it. I said, I had this crazy dream, but I don't know what it means. And he goes, why don't you share it with me? So we sat on a bench. And I shared it with him. And as soon as I, I was finished sharing, he said, I know what it means. And I was like, ooh. Okay, so what does it mean? And he goes, well, you're going to a funeral, but the funeral is actually for your old self. Remember what scripture says? The old has passed away. You're going to the funeral of your old self, this, very, this person that used to be promiscuous, this person that used to do all these different things where you're attending the funeral to finally say goodbye to this person. But everything that you reach for is completely transparent. And yet that's exactly what you need to be. You need to be transparent. And he says, I feel like the scene where I'm watching you make out is we need to share. You need to share a little bit more about your past. Now I shared in my healing and deliverance time, but it was very, um, you know, bullet points, the big, the big items, but I didn't share this, just the, the nitty gritty. And he was like, I've been feeling this in my heart. And I feel like we have to have this conversation now. And I was like, no, we don't. He said, no, I think we do. And I'm like, no, we don't. We don't need to have this conversation. He goes, we need to talk about this. And it's going to make you feel uncomfortable because I'm going to be watching your past as you share. But I just want to tell you that it's going to be okay. And I was like, okay. And he said, and I feel like the steps represent how we're going back to your past. Usually steps going up means progression or future steps going down either mean decline or going back to your past. And it's getting, that's why you see high school people when you go down the steps, it's representation of your past. And each step is getting bigger because the more in depth you go, the harder it becomes. But ultimately in the dream, you hear God's voice say, let go. 
just let go. And it was then and only then you saw elevators. If, if staircases increase in progress, what's the next level of a staircase? It's escalator, right? Escalator is the next easiest thing. And what's the next thing? Elevator, right? If you want to go from floor one to floor two, you can take the stairs, the escalator, or the elevator. Okay, and the fastest way is the elevator. And he said, I just feel like when you finally let go, there'll be this increase of, of, of just progression in your spiritual life. You're going to go up and you're going to go up fast. So that, that's how he interpreted that dream. And so we sat there and I shared with him all the nitty gritty. And as I was sharing with him just how deep my addiction had went and just how um, my past relationships, what they look like, I could see like weight, more weight coming on his body. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything you can see with your eyes, but literally he went from like, you know, sitting on the bench to like, to by the end, when I finally had shed everything, his face was in his hands like this. He couldn't even look at me. Man, I remember thinking in that moment, nobody, nobody told me that I got to have this conversation with my future husband. Like, I just thought, do me, have fun, repent later on, God cleans it all up, and then I could just pretend like none of that happened. I just, I didn't know that I had to have this, I, I didn't know that I have to have this conversation with my future husband. No, what I didn't know is how much it would affect my future husband, my lifestyle, and my choices. And here he was, he was just a boyfriend at the time, face in his hands, and he looked utterly devastated. And the thought that came to my mind was, Oh, snap, he's going to break up with me. Like, this relationship is done. He can't handle that. And look at him. And I remember just my heart beating out of my chest and reliving some of the shame and reliving some of the condemnation. And I remember God speaking to me in that moment. He said, Aaron, if Christian decides to end this relationship, are you going to continue to regard yourself in accordance to the flesh or in accordance to what I've done? If he says he can't handle it, are you still going to believe you're a new creation? If he decides this is too much for him and he walks away and he can't look at you the same way, is that going to change the way that you look at yourself? God just straight confronted me in that moment. And I thought, God, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, I refuse to change my position on what you did for me. And I know, I know that I'm in you and therefore I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I had this conversation while he was like almost in tears. And I turned to Christian. I remember I just tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, listen, I have the most highest respect for you as a man of God. And I really did. I just have so much respect. I had so much respect for him and I still have so much respect for him. And I, and I said to him straight up, I will not lose even a, an ounce of my respect for you if you say you can't handle this and you want to end this relationship. I will not hold it against you. I will not look down on you. I will not be bitter at you. I will completely understand. It's okay. It's okay. Those are the words that I, I said. I was preparing myself for the big breakup. And he turns and he takes his hand face out of his hands and he said no you don't understand I was like no you don't understand and he said no you don't understand and I was like what don't I understand he said I already committed to forgiving you before you said a single thing I was like huh come again and he said it's okay that's not you anymore thank you for sharing and I was like wait um so like, we're still together? And he goes, yeah, we're still together. I mean, I still, I still like you, and I still want to pursue this relationship, and this is, this is not going to get in the way. And he said this, I promise to never bring this up again in our relationship, and I promise to never hold this against you. And I just sat there looking at him, and I just started weeping, weeping, crying, not because he was so mushy at the time, which he was. Like, that was like, woo, hey. But more than that, I was, I was reminded of the gospel. And I thought to myself, this man would have not been able to forgive me had he not known Christ's forgiveness. The reason why he's able to regard me, not in accordance to my old self, but what is new is because he knows what Christ has done for me. 
And he's able to see me in that light. And when he came into agreement with what Jesus had done for me, I was just so blown away by God's goodness. I said, wow, God. Not only do you make things new in my own perspective, but you make things new in how others can see me. That's amazing. That's so powerful. In that moment, my future husband, who prayed for himself without even knowing it, had come into agreement, not with the flesh, but he decided to behold what was new in me. It was a powerful, powerful manifestation of the gospel to me that ministered to me like crazy. I'm sure you guys can even imagine just thinking about it. I had just, sincerely, I had heard him. It wasn't easy for him to say those words. It wasn't easy for him to forgive me. It was a process. It was difficult. Yet at the end of the day, he chose by faith to do so. And to this day, he's never brought it up. He shares it in his testimony. I share it in my testimony. But when it's husband and wife time, he's never throwing the old in my face. Ever. Ever. Not once has he done that. Scripture says love keeps no record of wrong. That's true love. And even though I blurted out every detail of my past, he never threw a single detail back in my face to condemn me, shame me, imprison me. Never. It was as if I never did those things. It's incredible. It's incredible. My question to you is, what, are, what have you done? And what are you standing on right now today? Are you allowing your mistakes? Are you allowing your, even your current mistakes right now? What I've done was in the past, but I still make mistakes today. I still fall into temptation. I still have wrong mindsets. I still have bitterness and anger that I'm, God's constantly confronting me on. Yet still, am I going to believe that that's what defines me? Or am I going to believe that I'm continuously being made more like Christ? God, I got to see myself the way that you see me. Because what you believe about yourself, you will become. If you, think that you, you, if you think you're perverted, you will be perverted. That's the truth. If you think that you are weak, you will be weak. What you believe about yourself will manifest. But if you say, I am strong, not because you've seen any sign or evidence of your strength, but because you know God is with you, slowly but surely, strength is going to come upon you. Slowly but surely. If you say, I am pure, not because of, of your pure, you know, record. Oh, I haven't had a lustful thought in 31 days. Now I'm pure. No, if you say I'm pure because Christ's blood has made me pure, then, then and only then you're going to start to walk in purity. Well, look at that. Why would I look at that? I'm pure. Christ has made me pure. But when you think, man, I, I'm addicted to this. Oh, of course I would look at this. Of course I would struggle with this. Of course this is familiar to me. This is what I know. This is what I am. What did I say? The devil constantly wants to hammer you in the old. And God is always trying to get you to behold the new. How are you seeing yourself today? I want to encourage you guys, no matter what people say, no matter what even believers have done, if you shared something to someone and they were like, you did what? And you felt like you were judged and condemned, no matter what they said, you better stand on what God has said about you. And not only do you have the authority to do that, but you have the power to do that for one another. I'm not going to see so-and-so just in the flesh. I'm not going to judge her by her weaknesses and her faults. But when I see this young lady, I'm going to see Christ inside of her. And that's what I'm going to continuously encourage and speak out. Not, oh my gosh, Bo, how come you weren't here for like the past month? Like, where have you been? Seriously. No, I'm going to say, Bo, come to large group. You know you want to come. You know you want to be here. I know. I know you're hungering after God. I know you're desiring after him because Christ is inside of you. I'm going to speak the spirit inside of her, not the natural, not the outside, not, not the flesh, because that is temporary. That is gone. Not that our bodies are not important or our flesh is not important, but I'm saying that our, our, our spirit must be superior, must hold greater ground. 
The old has gone. That's why when you get baptized, if you've seen an official, not an official, but a, a, a very, a baptism that's the most similar to what they did in scriptural times, it's getting completely immersed in water. It wasn't a sprinkle. It wasn't a, you know, like holy water. No, they would bring people to a moving body of water and they would just dunk them completely in and then they would take them completely out and that would represent the complete death of their old self and when they would come out of the water it meant the resurrection of their new self we do baptism as an additional sign of our salvation but that said god designed it for it to be a reminder in our everyday life remember you've been under the water remember you died to that Remember, that's not you anymore. Even if you're struggling with it today, you have to fix your eyes. You have to see. You have to behold on the resurrected self. You don't have to work to get to God's level. This is the, this is so many other religions. There's so many religions out there, but many of them, you have to go to levels and work your way to this place of holiness or work your way towards the level of God or work your way to this place. But you got to understand what scripture says. The gospel message is not that we work our way to God. It says that God came down to us in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. And he met us right where we are in the pits of our destruction. And he lifted us up. That's the gospel message. And yet we still find ourselves in religion and we still find ourselves in work ethic. And that is not Jesus Christ. We got to get rid of our, we are what we do. You are not what you do. You are what God says you are. And when you believe that, what you do will reflect that. So I want to encourage you guys, even as you're part of this spiritual family at SNU, to number one, just be vulnerable. It took me sharing. I had to, I had to wear a transparent see-through outfit in order for me to get to this place where I felt completely and utterly free. There are moments that God's going to give you to share. Now, I'm not telling you to come up to the microphone and be like, I did this and I did that, but God's going to give you chances, whether it's with your leaders or whether it's with your friends or in familia, to be open and honest about some of your shortcomings, your weaknesses, or even your past. And for that, I want to, I just want to encourage you that remember, remember, that's your old self. That's your old self. Be not afraid to share. Just share and allow yourselves to get ministered to by one another. Allow yourselves. And when you hear someone open up, don't be like, dang, I can't believe you did that. Like, really? Like, you struggle with that? No, don't be like that. Don't say those things. Don't look at them in accordance to what they've done. But instead, continue to perceive Christ inside of them and say, oh, okay, that's what you did. Well, you know what? Scripture says that's not who you are. You know what? It says that the old has passed away. So let's do this. Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to take this away from you. Let's ask the Lord to cleanse you by the blood of his righteousness and let's establish you. Let's nail you down to the truth of your identity. You can do that for one another. You don't need a pastor. You don't need Rona. She can do it. I can do it for you, of course. But you know what? You both, you have the authority to do that for one another, to listen in and to see, to behold one another as new creations. When you do that, when you treat each other like that, you will see people begin to act the way that you honor them. Man, why is she, why is she not coming out? Or, you know, I saw you when we were praying, your eyes were open, you know, and you didn't say amen. You know, we can, we can judge each other with small, ridiculous, you know, little that, well, I knew, man, I heard from somebody that you were in the club last weekend. No, do not fall into the games and schemes of the enemy and allow those things to, you know, cover up someone. If they're a believer, if they know that Christ is their savior, if they're in Jesus, then that is not who they are. So believe for one another, love one another, and speak that life over one another. Just as my husband was able to do for me, that, that gave me a deeper revelation of the gospel. I think you guys can do that for each other. Manifest the gospel to one another. That's what scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5. We read it. Now we get to have the ministry of reconciliation. 
It's not just that we've been recipients of it. We're ambassadors of Christ now, meaning we represent Christ. When you're an ambassador of Germany living in Korea, what, what does that mean? When you're an ambassador of something, it means you're living in a foreign country representing your original country, right? I'm an ambassador of the States. I live in Korea, but I represent the States. My citizenship is in the States. When we're called ambassadors in Christ, we're living on this earth, but we're citizens of heaven. We're here temporarily, but guess what? This is not what defines my life. I'm, I'm going to have an eternal life with Christ. Therefore, I'm an ambassador of God, the eternal one. So what I represent is I'm not going to just represent what goes on this earth. I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to be like Christ. When you behold someone, I'll end with this, you can set them on a path of extreme acceleration. Instead of telling someone to work up to your level, or instead of even expecting your leaders to meet your standard, or expecting yourself to meet your standard, if you just see one another with the eyes of Christ, if you see yourself with the eyes of Christ, there will be growth. Just like the elevator doors that opened up for me. You know, I still remember the night that my husband proposed. He had this epic planned out, like, event. And, you know, I really think that as much as it was for me, I think it was for him. Because, like, people get really excited to share how they propose to their, you know, future wives. And he, like, went all out. And he had this extremely romantic plan planned out. And um, it was, we got engaged at our, after dating for six months. So it was really short. Um, but by that time, we had already known, like, there's no more messing around. We're not going to know each other fully. You know what I mean? We're not going to wait. We just know. Like, let's just do it. Let's not waste time. Like, for real. And so at six months, he decided to propose to me. It took another eight months later to um, actually get married. But on our six-month anniversary, you can't even call it an anniversary because it wasn't even a year. But on our six-month celebration, um, what he did was he pretty much gave me a gift and a letter for every month that we had been together. So the first gift was, you know, this vase with flowers in it. And then he opened this letter and I open it up and there's like song lyrics to the song we were listening to in month one. And then, and then he wrote this little, you know, it's not like a poem. It's more like a rap in written form. Cause it wasn't like, you know, poetry. It was more like a spoken word. Yeah. It, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's hilarious. I just, I like reading it. It's just really cute. But he did that for every single month. And I remember we got to the sixth month you know, gift and, and letter. And he brought me back to the, our first date, the place where we had our first date. And, you know, we had, a, um, you know, steak and, and this incredible restaurant. And then we went to where we had, went, had our first date and we had a cup of, you know, some drinks. I had a milk tea and he had something. And then, and then he takes me to the palace that we walked on our first date. He took me to a Korean palace, uh, but it was under construction on our first date and like literally it was like us like trying to like hike up these hills and he was like oh I'm so sorry I thought this was you know and I'm like oh no it's fine in my mind I was like this is terrible but he brought me back and and thankfully it all been reconstructed and he brought me to the steps these palace steps and he was like all right are you ready for your last gift and I was like yeah and he's like okay I want you to read this letter and he hands me the card, the last card, said month six. And as I grab it, all of a sudden, my stomach just like intense pain in my stomach. I didn't know, but I was lactose intolerant and I had a milk tea. And if you guys, you guys don't know, lactose intolerance pretty much means you can't properly digest dairy. And so what happens, I don't know how much you guys want to know, but... It's, it's really bad. Like, I'll just leave it at that. Like, it's really bad. Bad stomach aches and bad stuff afterwards. Okay? So, all of a sudden, I get this intense stomach ache, and I'm about to read it. And I'm like, oh. And the thing is, he, he, has a, he had a recorder. He turned it on. So, what, you hear, you hear, you hear, you want to read this last letter? Sure. Oh, <laughs> it's just me groaning. And he was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I was like, oh, I'm in so much pain. He was like, what's wrong? And my 
stomach hurts so bad. And he was like, you know, he started praying in the spirit. And he's like, I come against this attack of the enemy. Like he thought it was of the devil. And he starts laying hands. He starts praying for me. And I was, he's like, you feel better? And I'm like, yeah, I think I feel a little bit better. I think I'm okay. Okay. And I try to open the thing and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom right now. Like it's about to go down and we got to find a bathroom right now and he's like right now and i'm like right now he's like can't you just wait a little bit i'm like what's your problem i'm like are you serious i'm in so much pain and he's like looking around there's no bathroom in the palace it's at night and he goes oh my gosh there's there's no bathroom. can we can you just wait like 10 more minutes and i'm like i can't wait i can't wait we gotta find a bathroom now and he just kept resisting and i, I was getting so angry like i just I was getting so angry and finally he's like, okay. And so we walk around the block and we finally find like a McDonald's and I just go in and I'm like in there for a while. And I come back like 20 pounds lighter and I'm like, oh man, I feel, I feel much better. And he's looking stressed out. He's looking so stressed and he's like, okay, uh, why don't we go back to my place? I'll get you some medicine and then I'll drive you home. And I was like, okay. So we're in the cab to his place. And what I don't know is in his apartment were people that were waiting already two hours plus to celebrate our engagement. So there was a whole party of friends and, and he had recorded videos of friends from back home. Like he had this whole setup for me to celebrate our engagement, but he still didn't propose yet. And so he's thinking, oh my gosh, I got to propose. And we're in the cab. He goes, I can't propose here because it's too dark. She can't see the ring. So he's like, what do I propose? What do I do? And I'm just, I have no idea. I'm just like, la, 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 feeling so much better. I feel so much better. And finally, we get to his apartment. And his apartment is like infamous for having the slowest elevator ever, ever. He lived on the 12th floor. And so finally, we see the elevator. And he goes, okay, I can propose here. So we get in the elevator. And he's like, okay, read the card. And I'm like, now? And he's like, now. And I'm like, now? He's like, now. So I read the card and the last line ends with something, something, something Lee. And he got down on one knee and he said, will you marry me? And he opened up the ring and the whole recording is shut up, shut up, shut up. Like it's just me saying shut up like 50 times. And he's like, well, and I was like, yes. And so he, I, I put, I put on the ring and then we opened up the apartment and he had this whole thing set up for me. Now, it wasn't until the next day I remembered my dream. And I don't know if you remember my dream, but the last part was what? The elevator doors going up. And I thought to myself, man, the diarrhea was of the Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. It's just so much funnier to tell now, you know? It's like it wasn't palace steps. It's like I had straight diarrhea on the day I, I got engaged, but... I just, I just remember thinking, well, how powerful it is that my husband and I can now share a life, but it's because he chose me to see me according to the spirit. And it's because I knew to see myself in accordance to the spirit. What my husband did, didn't define me. I hope you understand that he's not, his decision to forgive me didn't purify me. It just affirmed what Christ had already done for me. And our marriage and our ministry now is just a reflection of that power of the gospel to see one another, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And we do that. That's our ministry. When we minister to newcomers, I don't just see them, you know, the smoking cigarettes. I don't care if you smoke a cigarette. That's fine. That's fine. If you're a newcomer and you're, you're just, you know, coming to the Lord or you're backslidden or you're curious about Christ, whatever, you could drink, you could do whatever you want for me. When I look at you, I'm not going to look at those things. I'm going to see the Christ inside of you, or I'm going to see the potential of Christ inside of you. And that's what I'm going to choose to speak into. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. I'm not going to judge you for what you do. I, I realize then just how powerful it is, and that's the ministry that we do, and that's what Emmaus is all about, that gospel message. Even when I met Rona, Rona was a hot mess when I met her, and this is the truth. And I won't go into too much detail about all this that we had to deal with. No, but she has a, a, a beautiful testimony, truly, of God forgiving her and God cleansing her 
and people being able to see Christ in her and call that out of her. And now what she does as a full-time minister is to do the same for others. It's incredible. It's beautiful. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a minister. You don't need to be a missionary. You just need to be a believer to do this for one another. That's my exhortation to you as in you as a community is to see yourself as Christ sees you and to see one another in the same way. I want you guys to just bow your head with me. And I I just want to take a moment and um, give you guys an opportunity just to respond to what God is speaking to you. No matter what portion of this message he was highlighting to you, I want you to just take a moment and just listen for his voice. God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to point out? What are you trying to reveal?